Good morning, Cornerstone, again. Uh, it's great to see you guys. Uh, it's great to worship with you guys. And um, even with the first song with what Han led, uh, such an awesome God. I can't help but, um, one, give praise to him, but also just be excited uh, for what God has in store for us as the pandemic is slowly lifting up and as we're slowly getting back into a sense of normalcy. Um, last week, we finished our sermon series, Sent. And so for the next coming weeks, we're actually going to be doing standalone sermons uh, with me being one of the first of them. Um, and so there isn't going to be necessarily a cohesive theme along the rest of the, the next few weeks. Um, but we think it's a great opportunity for us to be able to preach uh, just a couple of things that we, uh, that we felt that we wanted to do and that we were convicted by. And so uh, we hope that you guys, uh, one, enjoyed these next few sermons, but also um, listen attentively and uh, just, be able to be, uh, just be able to learn a little bit and be convicted by uh, God and the Holy Spirit. So do you guys mind if I lift up a quick prayer before we begin? Uh, dear Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you for the worship uh, that you, the worship time that you've given us, um, even for Han and uh, Sam uh, to be able to lead us uh, in in the song "Such an Awesome God." And uh, Lord, for us to be able to um, take part in in being a little. Uh, be, taking part in worshiping you and glorifying you, Lord. And so, Lord, I pray that as we um, continue with the sermon, uh, Lord, that uh, one, you can be glorified, and two, that, uh, Lord, that it may not just be my words that, are, that I'm speaking, but, Lord, it may be your words that, uh, that, are, that are speaking to my brothers and sisters through me, God. And so, Lord, use me um, and allow my brothers and sisters' ears and hearts uh, and spiritual eyes to be, to be open and attentive at this moment. And so, Lord, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Five years ago, uh, Dean Kwame uh, stood in front of a demolition crew that was about to uh, destroy her church building in China. This demolition crew uh, was backed partly by the Chinese government and a corporation and was determined to destroy the church uh, regardless of who was standing in their way. As one of the demolition crew members put it, bury them alive for me. And so as the bulldozer continued, it actually ended up burying uh, both her husband and Dean Kwame. And while her husband was able to dig himself out, it was too late to save uh, Dean Kwame, and she suffocated and was murdered in an effort to protest the demolition of her church. Now, these are, this is one of the many stories of the church facing persecution in China and the rest of the world today. And now you might be asking me, yeah, Daniel, that's really sad and unfortunate, but what does this have to do with me? And so the, my, the reason I bring up this story is that we as the Western church don't face nearly as much or as explicit persecution as our brothers and sisters do around the world. Um, if anything, America is still considered a Christian nat nation, and if we identify as Christian in this country, we actually still have a lot of privileges that are given to us. But what would happen if one those privileges what, what would happen if those privileges were taken away and we started to face that same persecution that other people do around the world? Would we fight back? Would we fight back in the name of God uh, with with weapons and uh, and not go peacefully? I mean Let's look at what happened on January 6th. There were some people who, who stormed the Capitol in the name of Jesus. Um, 
and they were in the Capitol building giving prayers and saying, praise Jesus. So it's possible that some may do that. But what would we do? Would you let God work through, through us? Maybe you've experienced this kind of persecution or suffering already. Maybe at school, you've, faced a, you've gotten a cold shoulder from someone just from saying that you're Christian or they know that you go to church. Maybe at work, you've been insulted or maybe your character has been insulted or maybe um, you've, you've lost some social standing simply because you identify as Christian. The thing that connects all of these things is that it's our public identification with Christ that, give, that makes us suffer in these types of ways. And my purpose in bringing this up today is to encourage us that there might be a time where we eventually will be persecuted, that we will suffer, that, that being a Christian will, give us, will make us suffer in some type of way, just like our fellow brothers and sisters, like Dean Kwame, around the world. And so I want to tell, I want to preach on that today. And so today's sermon, the point of today's sermon is this. When we suffer for Jesus, count it as a blessing. When we suffer for Jesus, count it as a blessing. Well, why should we count suffering for Jesus as a blessing? Well, Paul gives, gives us an idea of this in 2 Corinthians of chapter 4, verse 7 to 12. Now, just to give a little bit of context, uh, Paul is writing to the church of Corinth after a couple of years, after he heard about, after he got an update about them from his mentee, Titus. Later in this book, uh, specifically chapter 11, Paul describes how much he has actually suffered because of the gospel. He talks about how he's been imprisoned, he's been flogged, um, he's been exposed to death again and again. He's been lashed up until the point of death multiple times. He's been beaten, shipwrecked three times, in danger from fellow Jews, Gentiles, danger, endangered in the city, in the countryside, at sea. He's gone without sleep. He's gone hungry. He's gone cold. The whole nine yards he's suffered because he's been proclaiming the name of Jesus. And so there are some in the church of Corinth that argued, because you suffered this much, Paul, because you suffered this much, there's no way you can be an apostle of Jesus. But Paul is arguing that it is, in fact, through his suffering that God is actually being glorified. And so with that context in mind, with Paul's suffering and, and him addressing that with the church of Corinth, let's read uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 7-12. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So Paul gives us three reasons why we should count suffering for Jesus as a blessing. And first, suffering for Jesus points to the gospel. 
Suffering for Jesus points to the gospel. Let's read verse 7 to 9. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed. The context in which Paul uses treasure is used only one other time in this similar way. And this is in Colossians when he talks about Jesus being uh, where the treasure of knowledge of wisdom, uh, knowledge and wisdom is found. If we understand that Jesus is a treasure of knowledge and wisdom, then we can infer that this treasure in the passage that Paul is using it in is Jesus. But there's also a pronoun that's used before Jesus, uh, this, which makes us um, also see that Paul refers to this treasure earlier in the chapter. In verse 1, he says, this ministry. Verse 3, he says, gospel. And in verse 6, he says, knowledge of the glory of God in Jesus Christ. And so when we put all that information together, what we're basically saying is Jesus equals treasure. Not just in this passage, in, in this context, but Jesus is our treasure. Now, when we study the phrase jars of clay, our first assumption might be to think um, that it means these valuable, uh, complicated-looking uh, jars that have a beautiful painting on them and that have been added, um, uh, that have beautiful paintings on them that have been added onto its side. Um, for me, my first thought goes to the movie Hercules, where at the beginning of the movie, the woman, uh, the, the choir starts to sing, and the literal picture from the vase starts to come to life. Um, and that's the intricate, that's how intricate it is on the actual jar. But that actually couldn't be further from reality. In Greek culture, clay jars, most clay jars, were actually ubiquitous with everyday life. They were used as transport, uh, they were used to transport things, they were used as vessels. They weren't actually, a lot of them weren't used for display, but were actually used. Um, and a lot of these jars of clay weren't valuable, but were broke, but if they were broken, could be easily replaced. It's like oh, some of the things that, the basic necessities that you buy at Ikea. They're kind of cheap, but when you break them, you could easily go back to the store and buy something that easily replaces it. So we're given this interesting imagery of something that's super valuable, treasure, and something that's not as valuable, a jar of clay. Now this dichotomy between these two is meant to show where the true value comes from, the true value of the treasure comes from. So when connecting this back to us, we are the jars of clay, a vessel for this treasure, the gospel of Jesus Christ, to be revealed. Now, why would we put something so valuable like treasure and something so invaluable like a jar of clay? It's because Paul is trying to clearly point to God being the one where the treasure and its value is found. We don't look at it and measure how valuable the actual jar is, but we measure the value by the actual content of what's inside the jar. In other words, he's not saying that the power, the power of God belongs to us or the power belonged to God and now belongs to us, but it says straight up that the power belongs to God and God alone in this treasure. Uh, another, another illustration to kind of help us understand is in Korean culture, we have these, uh, we have these jars, these glass jars that you can get at the supermarket to have kimchi inside. Um, and when we, 
when we buy this jar of kimchi, we're not actually buying the actual, we're not actually buying the jar itself, but we're buying what we think is good, which is on the inside, the kimchi. So we never think about the jar. We always reuse the jar for different things within Korean culture. Um, and instead of judging that jar, we judge the kimchi inside. Now, am I saying that because we're that jar of clay that we're worthless? I'm not saying that. What, we, what I am saying is when we are afflicted in every way, perplexed, persecuted, struck down, we can find comfort knowing that we have this treasure that has a value outside of ourselves, that's outside of our own strength, knowing the, uh, in the perfection that is Jesus Christ. So when we do suffer, let's never forget that the way in which we overcome this trial is not on our own strength but it's what comes from within us, which is in ourselves, but solely God and God's power through Jesus Christ. So the first reason why we should count suffering for Jesus as a blessing is so that we see that suffering points to God and his worth in us. But we also see how suffering for Jesus points to how he himself suffered. And this leads to my second point. Suffering for Jesus allows us to connect with Jesus' own suffering. Suffering for Jesus allows us to connect with Jesus' own suffering. When we read verse 10 and 11, there's kind of like a repetition going on between the two, where there's some similarities and some differences, but the thrust of both of them is pretty similar. So verse 10 says, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Verse 11 says, For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. Understanding that we have the gospel of Jesus Christ in us from verse 7, Paul is saying in verse 10 and 11 that in carrying the death of Jesus in our bodies, we also carry his life, the holistic gospel of Jesus. Not just his death, but also his resurrection and life. And so when we suffer in death, it is the life of Jesus that's reflected through our life. Something to note is that the phrase being given over to death, um, used in verse 11, is language that's very similarly used when Jesus was being put to the cross and being led to the cross. Paul wants the reader to know that the same way that Jesus is led to the cross, we will be led to our own cross. Now, this doesn't mean that we go through the same exact death as Jesus does, but it helps us connect and it helps us relate to the suffering that Jesus went through. A lot of the time, we know that Jesus died for us. We know what he experienced, but it's sometimes hard to relate in that. It's hard for us to, go, to really viscerally understand and relate to him. Um, but it's like when our parents tell us uh, as we were growing up that we won't understand them until we have kids of our own or until we grow older. Um, a lot of the times we think, you know, like we, a lot of the times when we're younger, we think we, think we have everything figured out. And so when our parents tell us that, it's almost like pride where we go, no, we understand what you're saying and we think you're wrong. And we fail to understand where they're coming from. But as we grow older, we start to realize that they have a perspective of their own, that they have a life of their own, they have struggles of their own, and they had to go through different things. And so the decisions that they make are all 
because of their own perspective. But as we grow older, we start to understand that. And when we start to understand what our parents go through, which makes the decisions that they do, and which is why they told us that in the first place, I don't know about you guys, but I found myself growing closer to them in like-mindedness and experience. We start to grow compassion for our parents. And we start to grow relation. We start to grow in relation to them in an intimate way. This is the same way in which we can understand the magnitude and implication of Jesus Christ coming to die and be resurrected for us. In this way, we can see and feel the same suffering that Jesus did and therefore walk with them even closer. This should draw us closer to God when we experience and when we can relate to his suffering and death. And so now that we connect with Jesus' suffering, what should that move us to do? What are some applications? Well, first, we should be unafraid to present the gospel and be put in situations where we might suffer. There are times right now where we might be scared to put ourselves in those situations. We might not want to share the gospel with our friends. We might not want to share the gospel with our coworkers. We might be even afraid to identify as Christian in public. Um, but when we connect with Jesus' suffering, we understand that there's a greater purpose with it and that it's not just our own suffering that we have to, re- that we have to relate to, but it's in Jesus that we find relation. Second, when we do suffer, we can remember what Jesus went through. In Jesus' life, we, th- we see the example of what it means to be a Christian, to love God, to love others around us, um, and to proclaim the good news. These are outward proofs of what it means to be a Christian. But reality is it will get hard. It will be scary, and we might have fear in us. And when it does, and when fear is telling you, you shouldn't share, or when fear is telling you, you might lose social standing because of this, remember what Jesus had gone through, and let's share in his experience. Uh, One of my favorite lines that I tell myself is, my Savior died for me, so that I could live for him. And if I were to contextualize that a little bit, it's my Savior died and lived for me so that I can live and die for him. Okay, so suffering brings glory to God and draws us closer to him. But how does that affect other people? Well, this is my third point. Suffering for Jesus allows for us, uh, allows for other people to experience Christ. Again, suffering for Jesus allows for other people to experience Christ. In verse 12, Paul says, Death is at work in us, but life in you. What Paul's trying to say is, other people will find life in Jesus Christ when we experience suffering and possibly death. The Corinthians knew what Paul was saying, as we had talked about earlier, because he went through persecution and suffering to give them the gospel. And when Jesus died, it allowed us to experience life as well. But, and so in the same way, when we are put to death, others can, can experience the joy of knowing Jesus Christ. The crazy thing is Paul himself experienced this. When we read in Acts 7, the story of Stephen, uh, one of the first apostles, um, it's actually Saul, or it's actually Paul, whose previous name is Saul, who gave the green light for the Jews to stone him. Uh, 
And so in that act of martyrdom, in that act of killing, that's actually what caused the diaspora of other Christians to start to spread across the region and for the name of Jesus to be proclaimed and revealed to others. And eventually, Saul himself would come to experience and come to encounter Jesus on the roadside, where Jesus comes to him and says, I am, um, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And this would eventually lead to Saul becoming Paul and being the apostle that writes this letter. And so in Jesus' death and life, Stephen found life. And in his death, there came the other people were able to experience Christ and eventually lead Paul to Christ. And so it's just like a crazy story, a cycle that we see of when death comes to life for others, as it says in verse 12. Now, you might have heard people say, I don't believe in God because of suffering. You might have had close friends, you might have had relatives, you might have had just people you know around you say that, or something similar to that. Because of suffering, I don't believe in God. How can there be a God if there's suffering? Something along the lines of that. But if you, suffer for the simply, if you suffer simply for the sake of suffering, is there a point to it at all? What I'm trying to say is suffering on its own has no meaning. But with God, suffering has a purpose that is past ourselves. Now, this doesn't mean that we should glorify or romanticize suffering as a lot of people might do. But we must be ready to allow the powerful and good testimony of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection to be on full display through our resurrection, life, and eventual death. Paul states this purpose in Romans chapter 5, verse 3 to 5. He says, Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So it's an end. It's, it's a means to an end. Another way to put this is, let's think about athletes and weight trainers for a second. Um, for a lot of athletes and people who go to the gym, they start to work out, they start to use machines, they start to use the barbell or the dumbbell or whatever it may be. Imagine just Pastor Danny crossfitting just somewhere and just going super hard. And, and many times they get sore. Um, they use their bodies, they overexert and they get sore. And in this soreness, um, it's almost like suffering. But when done right, we know that it will produce some sort of uh, product at the end. It will produce muscle. It will produce a change in, in, in how our bodies look and in, in just the way that our, we are, we're made up. And so relating that back to suffering, I think this is one of the most important aspects of following Jesus. It's not just for us and our own walk with Christ, but that through the experience and laying of our own lives, we have a hope that there will be life sprouting forth in others around us through exposure to the gospel. And so we've talked about how suffering for Jesus can be counted as a blessing. The three reasons are suffering points to the gospel. It allows us to connect to Jesus' own suffering, death, and resurrection. And it leads other people to know Christ. Having said all that, the application of today's sermon is the main point. 
when we suffer for Jesus Christ, when we suffer for our Lord and Savior, count it as a blessing. Although we might not experience explicit persecution like our brothers and sisters do around the world every day, we might experience it in a little bit more subtler ways um, than them. We might become ostracized at work. We might have less social standing um, for choosing integrity in whatever situation that we're in. But whatever it is, whatever suffering that we find ourselves in, let's look to Christ, knowing that in Jesus' act of faithfulness to us on that, on that cross, we can be faithful to him, trusting in the truth that others will come to know the good news of Jesus through us. So let's pray. Dear Lord, we come before you um, humbled in knowing that when you died on that cross, it wasn't simply to die on that cross, Lord, but you had a plan. You had a plan for us. You had a plan for humanity. Um, and in your resurrection, we are able to uh, give, our sins, give our sins to you, put those on the cross, but also find life in you at the end, Lord. But as we talked about today, um, it's not just about us getting life, but Lord, it's about us being able to um, suffer uh, for others to be able to find that same life in you, Jesus. And so God, we pray that in whatever, uh, in wherever we go in life, whatever we do, whether it's school, whether, whatever, wherever, uh, either, whether it's school, whether it's um, our work, whether it's relationships with friends or family, uh, Lord, we pray that we can be unafraid and unashamed to, to share the good news of Jesus, knowing that our hope isn't in ourselves, isn't in our own strength, isn't in our own efforts, but Lord, it's in the treasure of you, of knowing you, and that that is inside of us, God. And so we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.